Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it's your first time here, my name is John. I am the lead pastor. We appreciate you giving us a little bit of your time on this Sunday morning. So today's a great day to tune in. We are kicking off this brand new series that we are calling Dear God. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be having a conversation about the greatest tool that God ever gave to his children. And I'm speaking, of course, of prayer. Now, here at DHC, we have what I would call a, a mixed audience. I mean, we have folks that have been lifelong Christians, right? They, they've been Christians since basically the day they were born, raised in the church, all that kind of stuff. We have people who are relatively new Christians. Maybe they've been Christians for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, maybe, you know, several years or a decade at this point. We have folks that are recovering Christians. And, and of course, we have people that are not Christians, that they're just joining us to you know, sort of learn more about Jesus, learn more about Christianity, see what this, what this whole thing is about. And so when you have a, a mixed group like this, it's important to realize that we all have varying experiences with prayer. Now, many of us that have sort of grown up in the church, and I would be in that group, many of us were taught about prayer or exposed to prayer at a very early age. So I, for example, I was, I was taught about prayer um, by my parents, by my grandparents, who my grandfather was a pastor, uh, in Sunday school. That's an old term. Now we call it kids programming, but way back then it was Sunday school. And I was always taught that when you pray, you're, you're to think of it like a letter. And, and you should begin your prayer by saying, dear God, hence the title of the series. And, and when you were children, you were taught relatively simple, what I would call formulaic prayers. Maybe for you, you prayed a prayer before you went to bed and you said something like, let me think, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. That was a popular one. Or before you would eat dinner, maybe you were asked to pray and you gave it the old, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for uh, this food. And maybe now you're hearing these prayers and you're going, wow, you know what? The last time I prayed, I think was when I was a child, that's okay, right? Because here's, here's the thing about kids' prayers. Children's prayers are short, and they're sweet, and they're genuine. So we have a, a couple of friends, Scott and Lindsay, and we have them over the house a lot. And, and, and when we have dinner, we ask their daughter, Julia, who is seven, if she would sort of pray before we would all have dinner. And she gladly accepts. She has no problem doing that. And I love I love it when Julia prays. Now, there is a downside, all right, when Julia prays. And the downside when Julia prays is that she makes us hold hands. And not that holding hands is a bad thing, but generally I sit next to my buddy Scott, and I'm not really interested in holding his hand much longer than like a fist bump, okay? But not, I get through it by the grace of God. We get through the we get through the hand holding thing. But Julia's prayers are great because Julia is one who subscribes to the God is great, God is good prayer, and she's great at saying that prayer. But what I love is that not every time, but sometimes catches you off guard. Every once in a while, at the end, she will sort of sprinkle in a little something extra. And she'll say something like, "And dear God, um, I just want to thank you for my dog Zoe." Or I want to I thank you for ice cream. I want to thank you, you know, for raspberries. And we as adults, we kind of look at each other and, and giggle. But I got to be honest with you. Based on what I see in scripture, I think that God is unbelievably glorified by that little addition that Julia makes in that prayer. 
And this week, as I was thinking about her prayer, and I was thinking about our prayers as adults, it just seems like somewhere along the way, we lost our way, right? Like, I don't know when this happened, but somewhere along the way, we lost this sort of childlike relationship we have to God in our prayer life. We, we lost sort of this, the, the genuineness of communicating that these children seem to have when they pray to their Heavenly Father. And, and I don't know what it is necessarily. I, we, we seem to have overcomplicated prayer. Maybe, maybe some of us have just abandoned it. Or it's kind of like we don't want to go anywhere near it. And so what I want to do in this series is I want to begin to peel back the mystery of prayer. And I want us to have an honest conversation. I just want us to talk about, you know, what is it, right? What is prayer? How do, how do we do it? Does, it? does it really work? And what if someone asks me to pray in public? Oh, the horror, <laughs> the horror, right? Wait, oh my gosh, please, nobody point to me. Nobody asked me to pray at dinner. Nobody asked me. I, I just, the horror of having to pray in public. Listen, I get it. I know, all right? So when it comes to prayer, Scripture has uh, just a ton to say about it. I mean, from cover to cover, it's just, there is just so much information on prayer. And, and the reality is that we can't cover it all, but we can cover some of it. And so what I want to do to be most economical with our time is I want to look specifically at the teachings of Jesus when it comes to prayer. I want to find out what he has to say about prayer. Because look, if we're going to learn about prayer, we might as well, you know, go to God and ask him about it. And what you're going to see today, what you're going to see over the next couple of weeks, is that Jesus has some of the clearest, most encouraging, and most healing thoughts on prayer. And I use that word healing because I think a lot of us need healing when it comes to sort of our prayer life. And because of the coronavirus, I think a lot of us are praying a lot more than usual. And I think there's a lot of us out there who want to pray and just don't even know where to start. And so my prayer is that this conversation today and the next few weeks will be beneficial and will be helpful to you in your prayer life. So here's just how this, you know, series is going to look. Today, super casual, just a very casual conversation about prayer. Now, next week, I want to begin to dive deep. I want to take everything that we learned today, and I want to dive deep into the nitty-gritty stuff of prayer. But, but for today, I want to begin with an interesting um, little section of scripture uh, found in Luke chapter 11, verses 1. And it says this, One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, hey, Lord, uh, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, this is an interesting verse, and this is one of those verses that I always kind of say we, we just breeze right past. It's like, this is background detail you know, before we get to the meat. But don't go too quickly past this, because something interesting is here. Because think about this. You got his disciples who are asking him, hey, Jesus, teach us to pray. Here's why this is interesting. These are Jewish men, right? These are Jewish men. These are men who were raised going to the temple. They would go weekly, daily sometimes. They've been going since they were kids. These are men very familiar with the scripture. And these are men very familiar with prayer. In fact, they, like Jesus, like any good Jewish person then and today, would pray twice a day the Jewish prayer known as the Shema, 
right? And the Shema, I'm going to show it to you. The Shema is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4. And here's the prayer. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, is one. So this is the opening line of the Shema, and it is considered to be the most essential declaration of the Jewish faith, that God is one. And the disciples, and Jesus for that matter, would have prayed this prayer every single morning and every single evening. Now, the next line of the Shema, um, it just details how a Jewish person would live out this faith. So every day, twice a day, these disciples and Jesus would pray, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, if you've been coming to DHC any length of time, your little antennas are probably going off right now because you're going, oh, wait, 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 I recognize that. Like, I've heard, I've heard that one. What, like, how did I hear that one? When did I hear that one? Why does that one sound so familiar? Well, the reason you've heard this one before is because there's a section in the New Testament when someone in Jesus' crowd stands up and says, hey, Jesus, do me the favor. Would you tell all of us, just so we hear it from you, can you tell us what is the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus says, yeah, I can, I can help you with that. In fact, you already know it. It's in the Shema. He says the greatest commandment is to love your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. But then he doesn't stop there. Jesus adds in a little something extra. He says, and the second commandment is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus changed the, the Shema. So the disciples are very familiar with this prayer. They know this prayer inside and out. They say it every single day. And yet, when they watched Jesus pray, something was different. I don't know what it was exactly. There, there was, maybe it was his mannerisms, maybe it was the word, maybe it was just his visage. or Egypt, But whatever it was that Jesus was doing, something seemed different. And when they watched him pray, it made them realize that they needed help. And so I think an interesting question to ask is, all right, well, why did the disciples need help with prayer? Think about that for a second. I mean, why would they need to be taught to pray? These were the disciples. They, they, they grew up going to temple. They were handpicked by Jesus. These are men that would have seen all of Jesus' teachings. They would have seen the miracles. These are the guys that would take over for Jesus when he would leave this earth. And yet, they needed help. And if they needed help, that means that we need help. So why? Why, why would they need help? Well, the first reason that they needed help with prayer, and the first reason that we need help with prayer, and you might not like this, but here it is, we are sinners. Now, I know we don't like hearing that, but that is the reality of the world that we live in. We are sinners. And because we are sinners, we do nothing as we should. All right? Because of sin, we just do nothing as we should. For example, we all know Right? And Jesus just taught it. We just spoke about it. We preach about it at DHC all the time. We all know that we should love God with all of our heart, soul, and strength. And we all know that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. We know these things. And yet, ain't nobody doing it. Okay? Nobody's doing this. At least if we are, we aren't doing it on a consistent basis. Can you give me that at least? We're not doing it on a consistent basis. So because we don't love God well, and because we don't love others well, 
ipso facto, we don't do prayer well. Here's another reason we need help with prayer. We do not see God face to face. Let me explain this to you. So since the fall of man, and when I use that phrase, since the fall of man, I mean in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate the apple, so to speak, all right, when sin entered into the world, because of that, we can no longer see God face to face. They could, we couldn't, all right? Things have changed. God is now hidden from us. And as humans, we, we sort of, we sense that barrier between God and man. And, and because we can't see God, it causes us to raise, I think, all kinds of questions about prayer. We, we find that we're saying like, well, are, are my prayers getting through? Right? We sort of feel that barrier and it's like, are my prayers getting through? Or does prayer even work? Or am I praying long enough? Am I praying hard enough? Am I praying with enough passion? Well, the disciples, they recognize this disconnect, right? They realize that in their own life, even though they knew about prayer, even though they've been praying since they were kids, they realized that something was off and they needed help. And they asked for it, which I think is the last thing that a lot of Christians want to do. I think the last thing that Christians want to do, many of us at least, we don't want to admit that we don't know how to pray, right? Because how would that reflect on me? I don't know how to pray. Come on. How would that reflect on me? I mean, I need to show the world that I've got it all together, that I love God, I love my neighbors as myself, I'm a, I'm a prayer warrior. Well, that's all. All right, have fun with that, because if that's not actually happening, I don't know why you're telling yourself that. Because admitting that you need help is okay, admitting you need help is really the first step in the stage of, of learning. And Jesus so desperately wants to teach us. So the question is, do you want to learn? Right? Do you want to learn? So in response to the disciples' request to Jesus, can you teach us to pray? Jesus says, yeah, I can, uh, I can help you out with that. And so here's what he says. He says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. This is known as the Lord's Prayer. In fact, Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer on two separate occasions. Once here in Luke chapter 11, and another time in a slightly longer version, one that you're probably more familiar with, uh, found in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, over the centuries, the Lord's Prayer has been looked at uh, in two ways. Number one, uh, it was looked at as a prayer that one is to recite, and it was also looked as a model for prayer. Now, if you kind of grew up Christian or you've, you've been a Christian for a while, depending on which tradition you are most familiar with, let's say, for example, you are Catholic or you grew up Catholic. You, most Catholics are familiar with this prayer in terms of reciting it. Um, many Protestants, depending on the denomination at least, are more likely to look at this prayer as uh, a model. For prayer. Now, here's the good news. For once, both the Catholics and the Protestants are both right. Okay? That's the good news. And next week, what we're going to do is we're going to dive deep into this prayer. We're going to pull it apart. We're going to dissect it. We're going to find out what exactly he, he, he means by all of these things. But today, all I want to do is I want to step back. Um, I want to get some perspective on this prayer. I want to find out what we can discover about this prayer and what kind of light that sheds on prayer 
in general. So the first thing that we discover about the Lord's Prayer is that it is a short prayer. It's a short prayer. So this week I was looking at it and I go, this is a short prayer. And I timed myself. It took me 11 seconds to read the Lord's Prayer. 11 seconds. Think about that for a second. These disciples, they go to God, right? They go to Jesus himself and they go, hey, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? And Jesus hands them an 11 second prayer. To put this in perspective, if you are washing your hands to the Lord's Prayer, by the time you're done, you still have coronavirus. <laughs> you got to wash for 20 seconds. The Lord's Prayer ain't going to cut it. You need the happy birthday song or something like that. Now, here's what's so encouraging about the Lord's Prayer. What Jesus is teaching us here is that a prayer does not need to be long to be spiritual. In fact, when Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, he actually spends a little bit of time talking about pagans who pray. And he says, you know, when these pagans, when they pray, he goes, they just, they babble on, on, on. Their prayers are so long, he says. And the reason they're so long is because they wrongly believe that the longer their prayers are, the more likely God is to listen. And Jesus is like, that's just not how it works. In fact, God loves short prayers, loves them. And, and the Bible is filled with many, many examples of short prayers. In a few weeks, we're going to take a look at a parable that Jesus teaches about a Pharisee and a tax collector. But I just want to show you today the prayer that this tax collector makes. Look at this prayer, Luke 18, 13. This is the prayer. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 2.5 seconds. 2.5 seconds. And yet, Jesus says that this man went home justified. The night before uh, Jesus was uh, betrayed, or the night he was betrayed, I should say, he prayed this prayer. Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. 6.8 seconds long. Or how about Jesus' prayer from the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 2.9 seconds. And one more for good measure. From the cross, Jesus prayed. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. 3.2 seconds long. These are the very prayers of Jesus Christ. These are the very prayers uttered by the Son of God, and it is clear that according to Scripture, that God was pleased by these prayers, God heard these prayers, and God answered these prayers. And in the same way, our prayers do not need to be long for God to be pleased by them and for God to hear them. In fact, I would say this. If you are a person that prays long prayers, I think it might be good for you to stop and ask the question, well, why am I praying a long prayer? Do you ever think about that? I mean, I think this is a very interesting question because the answers are very revealing. If our answer is, for example, let's say, let, let's say we ask this question and our answer is, well, you know, we feel that the longer the prayer, the more likely God is to listen. If this is our response, then we've misunderstood Jesus' teaching on prayer. I mean, God hears us because of his love for us through Christ, not because we pray prayers that others might regard as spiritual because they're so long, right? Jesus assures us, assures us 
that God is pleased even with a four-second prayer. All right? Now, if we might answer that, you know, it's a... It's good spiritual discipline, right? You like that word? It's good spiritual discipline for us to spend a long time in prayer. If this is our response, and I think it's important for us to ask, well, what is prayer then? I mean, I mean, is prayer about disciplining ourselves to pray long prayers, or is it about talking to God? Now, this is not me saying that long prayers are bad. Don't misunderstand me. And this is not Jesus saying that long prayers are bad. There are, in fact, many examples of very long prayers in the Old Testament. There's one in Psalms that takes 30 minutes to read. That's a long prayer, right? And there's going to be times in your own life when you'll be making very long prayers. That's not the point. The point that we need to grasp is that brief prayers are not bad. Brief prayers are pleasing to God. Brief prayers are heard by God, and they are answered by God. The length of your prayer is not what makes your prayer acceptable to God. It's true. The length of your prayer is not what makes your prayer acceptable to God. And this is so important. I just want to leave this here for a second and you to look at it because it is so important for us to understand this because there are far too many Christians that judge their prayer life harshly because they are unable to make these really long prayers. Here's something else that we discover about the Lord's Prayer. It's a simple prayer. It really is. You just take a look at the Lord's Prayer and you realize how amazingly simple it is. There's no complicated sentences. It is devoid of any impressive theological language. I mean, honestly, you look at it, it is it is nothing but a brief series of straightforward uh, statements and requests. And I think, honestly, I think that almost catches us off guard, doesn't it? You look at the Lord's Prayer, and we want to go like, hey, Jesus, um, what's the real prayer like, right? Like, what's the, you can tell me. Like, I know you got to tell them this is like the Lord's Prayer, but like, what's the good stuff? Give me the good stuff, because this can't, like, I know, I know. Prayers are, prayers need to be profound. They need to be eloquent. So like, they can't be this simple. So like, what's, what's the real, give me the good stuff, Jesus. If this is us, I think it's important to ask the question, like why, why do we feel, right? Why do we feel like prayers have to be complex? What's, what's with it? It's almost it, right? It's almost as if the more theologically deep our prayers are, the more verbally impressive our prayers are, the better we feel about ourselves. Do you know who I blame for this? Honestly, you know who I blame? Not in full, but in part, you know who I blame? Pastors. I mean, I just do. I mean, how many times have you been in a church service or a funeral or a, a whatever, I don't know, right? And the pastor up there was praying and it sounded like some mix of, of Shakespeare meets the Old Testament, right? You, and you had, you had no clue what that person was saying, but man, that... That's, that's how you pray. That's a, that's a prayer. I mean, I've been there. You hear, he's up there. He's, you know, they're up there praying about traveling mercies. What are those? I don't know. I want them though, right? Or, or he's, you know, they're praying about the admonition of the Lord. What the heck is that? I was one time at a Bible study, all right? And the guy said, uh, what did he say? Should the Lord tarry? And I looked at my boss, Terry, who was sitting right next to me. I go, are you praying about you? Okay. <laughs> so like, it, we, 
We, then we go home and we're like, oh, God is great, God is good. And we feel like a bunch of idiots. Isn't that true? I mean, it is not a surprise why people don't want to pray in public. Because we feel like if our prayers aren't impressive and complicated, then other Christians are going to judge us. It's kind of like, man, did you hear John pray? Did he say, dear Jesus and not dear Heavenly Father? What is it, three? Okay. <laughs> You know this is true, but, but the scriptures are clear. Prayer is not a performance. It's just not. When we pray to God, we are not trying to prove anything to him. When we pray, we are not trying to impress anybody else. And prayer is nothing that we should evaluate ourselves or congratulate ourselves on if for some reason we are able to string together some complicated verbiage. All right? Prayer is about talking to God. Hard stuff. That's it. Prayer is talking to God. That's why I love Julia's seven-year-old prayer. She is not performing for anybody. She, she does not have a care in the world. She is just having an open and honest conversation with her Heavenly Father, and she allows us to be a part of that dialogue. And God loves that. Here's something else that we learn about the Lord's Prayer. When you look at it, what you learn is that it's a plain prayer. Now, this week I was, I was struggling with this word plain. I'm like, it doesn't exactly say what I want it to mean. But what I'm trying to get across is that when you read the Lord's Prayer, you wouldn't describe it as being exceptionally emotional, right? Would you give me that? It's not exceptionally emotional. And I think that's important to grasp because many, many Christians believe that a good prayer so to speak, needs to be fervent, needs to be passionate, needs to be overflowing with emotional, intendancy, uh, um, emotional intensity. And we don't see that at all, at all in the Lord's Prayer. Now, that's not to say our prayers might not be emotional. Like that tax collector that we talked about that we're going to spend more time on in a couple of weeks, his prayer was very emotional. To take a look at how Jesus sets up this prayer. It says, he beat his chest in sorrow. He beat his chest in sorrow, saying, oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Jesus on the cross, I mean, his prayers were overflowing with passion. The Psalms, they are filled with, with, with prayers that are overflowing with sorrow and, and, and grief. And the same goes for us. Our prayers at some point might be overflowing with emotion. You at some point may get to a place where, where you cry out to God and the only thing that you could say is, Dear Jesus, and that's it. And God welcomes those prayers. And God hears those prayers with compassion. And yet, and yet, we need to be aware that the emotional intensity of our prayers is not, I repeat, is not what makes God listen. God does not respond to our prayers because of passion. He listens and he responds because he loves us. Which is important to know because I think so many of us judge the efficacy, if you will, of our prayers and the efficacy of other prayers, other people's prayers, based on how emotionally charged they may be. But what the Lord's Prayer shows us is that God readily listens to prayers that are less emotional. 
In fact, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray about ordinary things. He says, you should just pray about your daily bread. Just pray about your food. Heck, that's why I pray about, you know, finding a parking spot, getting a haircut. I ain't got no shame. All right, I'll pray for it all. Let him sort it out, whatever he wants to do, right? Just, I'm going to pray about everything, all the ordinary stuff, right? I don't care. God says, come to me with everything. But when it comes to sort of the emotional side of things, here's something that I begin to think happens to a lot of us. I think that we can begin to think that the intensity of our prayers puts God under obligation to answer. Now, we might not verbalize this, but I think it's true, at least at some level. I think, I think there's part of us that kind of feels like, you know, God, I've been, I've been praying about this thing for six months, one year, two years. I've been praying with passion. And so you really, you need to answer me. I deserve an answer to this prayer. Now, we might pretend like this is not us, but honestly, at some level, it's all believers. I mean, I think all believers, we, we too easily believe, or pardon me, to easily begin to believe that God is in our debt, right? We too easily begin to believe that God is in our debt, and the longer that we pray, and the more intensity in which we pray, and maybe we start doing some sort of self-flagellation in our prayer or any kind of spiritual gymnastics. Whatever we got to do, we'll do all kinds of stuff to make God answer. And this is not what Jesus teaches us about prayer at all. Jesus shows us that God has invited every single one of us into a relationship where we can have a conversation and bring to God our thanks and our requests that God is not indebted to us. We are indebted to God. That we cannot, nor should we try to manipulate God into giving us an answer. We are completely dependent upon God's generosity. Which brings me to the last thing that we discover about the Lord's Prayer. And it's what I think drew the disciples in most when they watched Jesus prayed. What was so different about the way that he approached God than perhaps then the way that they approached God. See, what Jesus taught those disciples was a confident prayer. They set this up. Children who know, know that their parents love them. Children that are secure in that love. They know that they don't need to impress their parents. And so it is with God. God is our Father. That is what Jesus teaches us in this prayer. He's our Father. And next week, we're going to talk about how exceptional and extraordinary it is that the God of this universe has asked us to call him Dad. All right? But according to Jesus, God is our Father. That we are loved by God and that we don't need to impress him. And that being the case, Jesus teaches us a prayer to, to, to pray with confidence, to approach God directly by calling him our Father. See, what Jesus does is he shows us that our confidence and our directness actually pleases God. It shows God that, that we come to him as children to a parent. It shows God that we come knowing that we are loved. And it shows God that we come to him knowing that he will 
gladly hear us. Paul describes this kind of relationship we have with God in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 12. He says this, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. That the God of this universe, the God of heaven and earth, the God who was unapproachable, has, because of Jesus, has been made our Father. That we don't need to be afraid to speak to him. We don't need to scrutinize the, the words that we use when we talk to our dad. That we have been invited to tell God, happily and often, how much we love him, how much we need him, and how much we long to, to be with him. And our model, the Lord's Prayer, teaches us that, that we can say these things briefly and simply, plainly and confidently. So, what's the practical? What, what, do, you, what do you do with a, a message like this? If it's your first time here watching us at Downtown Harbor Church, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure that you can leave on a Sunday and just know exactly what to do with what you've heard. And so, today what I want to do, Rather than giving you something to do with prayer, I, I want to give you something to reflect on. Because today, in this series, is about learning. It's about growing. It's about self-reflection in terms of our, our prayer. And so what I want you to do this week is I want you to just sort of begin to marinate on and work through a couple of questions that I want to give you. So the first one is this. And I want you to be honest. When was the last time that you prayed? I mean, honestly, when was the last time that you prayed? Now I think some of you might say, I never stop. I just, I, I pray continually. That's great. Um, some of you might say, you know, I prayed this morning before I got out of bed, or I prayed this morning before I had breakfast. One of you might say, you know, honestly, I can't, uh, now that you ask it, I can't remember the last time I prayed. And there might be some of you out there that, that would say, John, honestly, I have never prayed once in my entire life. That's okay. The, the great thing about this church is that it is a judgment-free zone. You never have to be afraid of, of opening up and being honest with you. Because this series, what you're going to learn is that God, He just wants to hear from you. You are in a relationship with God. Part of a relationship is having a conversation with the person that you're in a relationship with. God just simply wants to hear from you. And hopefully after today and after the next couple of weeks, you will begin to have more confidence to just talk to your Heavenly Father. Here's another question. How about this one? Have you ever felt like you need to get your act together before praying God? Like, 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 for example, like you feel like you are unworthy to go before your Heavenly Father, to speak to God, to make a prayer to God, because you've made some mistakes in life. That, like, until you get all these things fixed, uh, you can't really talk to God. A, this is a, a big, massive issue for a lot of people. But according to what we read today, if you've said yes to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ took all, he took care of all that mess, all the mistakes in your life, even the ones you're making right now. He, he cleared the way. You are cleared to speak freely to your Heavenly Father. And the last one is this. How about this one? Do you judge the value of your prayers? And what is the criteria you use? So if there's one thing that I know, I know that we all do this. 
this is just human nature. I think every single one of us at some level is evaluating our prayers, is, is judging our prayers, perhaps criticizing our prayers, maybe celebrating our prayers. So do you judge the value of your prayer? And what is the criteria that you use? I think that this, perhaps more than any other single issue, is preventing us from having the kind of prayer life that God wants us to have. Let me close this out. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for today. I want to thank you for your son, Jesus. I pray that people are encouraged today to pray to you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Now, before I go, I want to I leave you with something that will warm your heart. I want to I throw to a video of my buddy Ethan. Now, Ethan is almost three years old, and this is a video of him praying. And you just, you got to see this. Now, let me just give you a heads up. I have no idea what he is saying in this video. Not a clue. I picked up a couple of words here and there, but God knows exactly what he's saying. But what the reason I want you to watch this prayer is I want you to see the joy in his heart as he prays to his heavenly father. And my question to every single one of us is this. How do we as adults get that joy back? See you next week, guys. Then open just and get Open just and open just and get a little If you got that.